The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, August 10th, the preteen fashion plate edition. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a journalist and podcaster living in New Hampshire, and I'm also mom to Henry, who's 16, Teddy, who's 14 and away at sleepaway camp, and my lovely stepdaughter, Lily, who is 17. And I am Carvel Wallace, a writer and editor uh, out in Oakland, and I am the father to Georgia, who is 11, uh, but turning 12 very soon, and then Ezra, who is 14. Gabe is on vacation this week, but he will be back next week. Today, we'll be taking a couple of listener questions about what to do about moving into a segregated city and managing a kid's personal style. Plus, our recommendations, triumphs and fails. And in Slate Plus, we will hear from a teacher facing an age-old dilemma around parents and their deadbeat school supply shopping or non-shopping, as the case may be. But first, triumphs and fails. Carvel, do you have a triumph or a fail for us this week? I do. This whole past week has been the greatest of triumphs. I took just one of my kids. I just picked the one. Picked my favorite one. Just kidding. <laughs> I, took my, uh, I took my daughter on a trip, just the two of us, and we haven't done that. I don't know that actually we ever have done that. Me and my son tend to end up having lots of time together because it's like male bonding stuff, and it's like, hey, come with me to the hardware store. It's like, okay, cool, Dad. And then in the car, we're talking about music and, you know, like action movies. It's just very gendered in a weird way that I didn't, like, expect, but seems to happen. And I feel like I don't really get a lot of one-on-one time with my daughter. So uh, one of the things I did when I got this book advance was planned out a couple of trips for all the kids, uh, trips that my son took alone, which we talked about last week and then, or two weeks ago. And then I planned this trip for me and my daughter to go out and visit these friends of ours way on the East Coast. So she could have kind of an East Coast summer deal with the fireflies and the, the rope swings and the lakes and all that stuff. And so we went and did that and it was great. And, uh, I just, just like when I traveled with Ezra to New York City, I, I, there was not a moment where I felt like this was anything other than um, just an, like an amazing, interesting, funny, smart, rapidly growing person that I got to learn about <clears throat> on each day. And uh, there was no like it didn't feel like I was her dad and I had to, you know, like do any dad stuff. And she just had such a great time. And it was a small town uh, in Massachusetts named Woods Hole that we have of old family friends live there or have family friends that live there long story and so she just cut loose in this small town with all these kids and she joined the teenagers and she like did the town tradition of jumping off the drawbridge into the water which (laughs) I would not have let her do if I had known but I was busy back at you know so like so she went and did that and you know like it was just it just was great and we had such a good time and I really enjoyed being with her and uh, it was so great to just see like you know, you see a kid every day, but then you get these particular moments where you go, um, I'm not going to do anything other than be with you. I'm not going to be with you while I'm cooking dinner. I'm not going to be with you while I'm working, while I'm emailing. I'm actually just going to get to know you again. And kids are changing so fast that it's like getting to meet a new person. And the person that I got to meet, I just think this is a great person. I really like this kid. So I had a great time. It is really fun just having one of your kids at a time for a protracted period of time. Like that whole dynamic, 
so much of being a parent of two kids or three kids or more kids is managing the relationships between the two, you know, between the kids. And, you know, it it really it adds a layer that when you take that layer away, the communication is so great. Mike, like, as I mentioned in the intro, my son Teddy is at summer camp right now for two weeks. And I was in the car with Henry yesterday and we were talking about. I don't know, like he, like when parents get on his nerves or whatever. And he said, oh, the only time you get on my nerves is when you take Teddy's side. And I was like, well, that's because in those moments, I love Teddy more and I'm choosing him over <laughs> you. <laughs> and of course, that's not the case, but it just like we laughed yeah. about it. And that's the kind of joke you can only make when you have one of the kids in the car. Like even like yes. your sense of humor is different, right? Yeah. 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 Everything feels very relaxed. I, I would, I would, <laughs> we, good thing we can curse on this show because I, I am. Um, I actually was telling my daughter about this. I had this moment when I was with Ezra in New York. We were in this hotel room and we were trying to decide what to eat. And it was like our third day together. And we were just, I was looking through menus on the bed and he was on the bed. He was like absently swiping his phone. We were just hanging out. And I was talking about something and I was just like, ah, should we get this? I don't know, man, this fucking chicken. Like, I don't know, man. Like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. And I like did that for like a minute. And then I looked over at him and he was kind of looking at me. And I realized for a moment I had literally, I mean, honestly, literally forgot that I was hanging out with my child and that I was the dad. Like, I really thought that I was just in, like, a dorm room with a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, like, letting down of everything can only happen, in my experience, or it happens more frequently when you separate out the kids and you get that private time with one kid because we just it just felt so relaxed to just be hanging out. And I had that same thing with Georgia where literally we were just two people hanging out, cracking jokes, like having the same reactions to weird things that we saw, but not being able to say it, but giving each other looks. And, you know, it was just, it was great. I love it. That is great. It's super great. Carvel, you've mentioned this book deal a couple times in the last few weeks, but I don't think you've mentioned what exactly the book is. What are you working on? That's a good point. I feel like I, I thought that I just, I assume everyone knows everything about my life. So uh, <laughs> that's on you guys for not. No. So I uh, am happy to announce that I just recently signed a contract to co-write a biography with Golden State Warriors small forward Andre Iguodala, um, who is a really interesting and fascinating character and uh, a finals MVP. And uh, he's like an Olympic gold medalist and all this stuff. But his story is crazy. He comes from this small town in Illinois and has just navigated his way through all these experiences. And he's just he's such a ridiculously smart person that uh, it's been really good to sit down with him and kind of get his whole life story. So I've been working on it kind of behind the scenes for like a year or so, hanging out with him and kind of getting the proposal together. And then, yeah, we we did the deal. And now it's official. We're meeting pretty much every week and talking about his life. And uh, that book is due out. I think I'm supposed to turn in the draft sometime <clears throat> in March of 2018. Uh, and then uh, and then it'll come out at some point in the summer of 2018, probably after the season, after the 2018 NBA season ends. So that's been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, that's all there is to it. Well, congratulations. That's a very big deal. I'm very impressed. Thanks. Uh, well, my fail is not as um, important as your triumph this week, but it also relates <laughs> to only having one kid at home. Um, uh-huh. And that is that I, you know, we talked last week when you actually weren't here, but we talked about um, kids and their eating and Teddy um, in the last year or so has really turned into an incredibly voracious eater, overeater, I think a lot of people would uh, mm. would would judge him as. And as a result of this, um, he's gone. And I went grocery shopping on the weekend, and I shopped as if he was here. 
So if mm. there's anybody out there listening right now who could use like two pounds of turkey, uh, three loaves of bread, <laughs> two containers of chicken salad and four <laughs> pints of ice cream, hit me up because <laughs> I have no idea how to just shop for regular people anymore because I'm so accustomed to having at least one kid in the house. It's really been continuous because Teddy sort of picked up the mantle when Henry dropped it of all this like incredible eating. Um, I had just no idea how to portion, how to shop, how to buy things. I mean, I, 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 I'm, the, I'm the person who walks out of the store with two carts and like needs help. Um, and Teddy's not around. And now I have all this ridiculous food that I can't donate because it's all like perishable. So seriously, <laughs> anyone's in the greater New Hampshire area and they want some smoked turkey like immediately, find me on Facebook and hit me up and I will uh, figure out a way to get it to you because I have no idea what I'm doing with only one kid in the house when it comes to food. All right. Well, we're going to get to listener questions in just a minute. But first, let's do a bit of business. First, we want to tell you about another Slate show. It's called The Slate Political Gab Fest with David Plotz, Emily Bazelon, and John Dickerson. If you listen and like our show, there's a good chance you like The Political Gab Fest. I'd say there's a good chance you might even like it a lot better than you like the show. But maybe that's me. I love the Political Gab Fest. Uh, on the show, they <laughs> nice. take three political topics from the week. They dissect and discuss. And these days, there's a whole lot to discuss. So check out the Political Gab Fest at slate.com slash gabfest or wherever you get your podcasts. And we want to hear from you. If you want to ask Carvel and Gabe and I a question about parenting, leave us a voicemail at 424-255-7833. It's the very best way to have us respond to your questions. We love hearing your voice on our podcast. Again, that number is 424-255-7833. And today on Slate Plus, we will hear from a teacher who is really desperate to find tricks to get parents to buy the basic things that she thinks that parents should be responsible for buying for school. You can only hear that segment if you are a member of Slate Plus. So now is the best time to join. Go to slate.com slash app to download the new Slate app and try Slate Plus for free for 90 days. You'll get bonus segments from all your favorite Slate shows and ad-free podcasts. I finally got my Slate Plus membership set up, and I am really, really loving it. So get yours right now. Yeah, it's cool. It feels. It feel. I, I want to say for Slate Plus too that I just got one too, and it feels like you're going behind the velvet rope. Yes. Of the intellect. <laughs> it's really good. It's and the, the, you know, the, the ad-free stuff. <laughs> Way to make it gross, but yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> There's no sex in Slate Plus, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. You'll just have to find out. I know. All right, let's move on. Let's get to some listener questions. First, we're going to hear from Stephen. Hello, my name is Stephen. I am a father of a 22-month-old, and I have a question for Slate's mom and dad are fighting. My wife and I are moving from Denver with our son back to Milwaukee and are looking to buy a home. Milwaukee, as you may know, is one of the most segregated cities in the country. And when we're looking at houses, there are houses that are literally one block away where the one house will cost 250000 and the other house one block away will cost 150000 with the only difference being that the K-5 through school that publicly serves these two houses uh, are sort of flipped in terms of diversity. One is 65% white and 35% 
non-white and the other is 65% black and 35% non-black. Uh, we are having a debate in our household, my wife and I, whether it is ethical to use the uh, fact of the segregation as a reason to not buy the house that is $100,000 cheaper. By all accounts, the houses are equally nice, and saving $100,000 is quite nice. However, the uh, school system is thought of in the school system that is primarily black as being a poor school system based on test scores and whatnot. So I wanted some input from you all at Mom and Dad Are Fighting to find out what you think we should do. Thank you. Bye. This is this question is at the center of like uh, this guy has stumbled on uh, America's fundamental question right now, actually, which he probably knows, um, uh, which is that are you willing to put your money where your mouth is when it comes to um, when it comes to equality? And that's really what this question is about. It's not physical money necessarily. It's really about um, this question of school systems. I happen to believe and I've always believed that uh, people who avoid school systems um, because they seem to have lower test scores because I'm, I'm talking about privileged, educated people who avoid <clears throat> School systems or schools because they seem to have lower test scores, because they seem to have lower uh, income like groupings, which generally, if not always, correlates to race. Uh, I'm always kind of like, fuck those people. Because one of the things that I've learned from raising two kids is that the vast majority of, particularly in the, in the elementary school years, which I think is what this person said their kid is in, that the vast majority of the work and preparation for the world, quote unquote, has to do with the family and what happens at home, what kind of academic support that child is getting at home. And uh, it's not entirely up to schools to single-handedly, like, solve every problem for the kid and get the kid 100% prepared to go out and, like, assume their rightful place in the financial food chain while the parents just kick back. It's not how it works. Parents are involved. And so I think in elementary school it matters even less whether or not a kid's school is like quote unquote high performing or has quote unquote high test scores. So I think that there's a lot wrapped up in this. And um, I think a lot of times people really say, oh, it's the test scores. It's like, oh, it's just not, it's not well funded. Oh, the like theater program isn't funded. But I think what it really is, is people are like, am I, am I comfortable putting my white kid in a room where they're going to be numerically outnumbered. I think that stresses and freaks a lot of people out and people start looking for other reasons to like move away from that decision. But I think if you have an elementary school kids and you, I mean, spending an extra $100,000 on a house to keep your kid away from a school that's majority of people of color is weird. And I understand that, that's a, that, that you can say to the test scores, but I can't imagine that that's all there is to that. I think it makes people uncomfortable. And uh, because we live in a world that is ultimately where where there's like just f legit straight up fear of non-white people by white people. That's just a functional thing that we all contend with being Americans. So uh, at least that's my point of view, my experience here. And so, uh, so I think my advice is like, get the $100,000 cheaper house, put your kid in the school, Pay attention to your kid after school. Read the kid books. Take the kids to the museum. You know what? Take a, a few of your kids' friends to the museum while you're at it. Like, let your kid be a part of the community. You become a part of the community. I think you'll find it will work out a lot better than you suspect. That's my advice.
I, I would I agree with everything you said. I agree with 100 percent of what you said, because this question, the asker knows there's an ethical issue because he put the word ethics right in the question. Right. He said, like, we're having an ethical debate over whether it would be wrong to. Right. right. So they know. <laughs> you know what I mean? And right. I think there's part of it, too, that's you, know, you add to the. um perceptions of schools, which you are 100% right. A lot of that data, if you look at like population uh, by race, you'll see the data skewed like in a really, really disproportionate way that would be fixed if people would just agree to send their kids to diverse schools and each school had an actual diverse population, right? The reason that some schools test better and have different, uh, you know, outcomes in other schools are because schools are segregated. And if schools were not segregated, just mathematically, everything would kind of balance out. People would have the same resources or closer to the same resources. I think there's an opportunity here to be the parent that stands up for that. That and that demonstrates that to your kids, that that's an important ethical choice that you've made as a family. I also think there's an opportunity here. You know, I'm sure that when these people move to this new city, they may also be worried that they may get like some parental side eye. Like you didn't make the decision to send your kids to the better school just to save money on a house mm. or whatever. You mm-hmm. then have the opportunity to have that conversation and say, hey, I think it's wrong that these districts are so disparate and seen so disparately and it's reflective in the house prices. And, you know, the only way that we're going to make a difference and change that system is if we become part of the change to that system. I mean, I I I do think there's a big opportunity there. You don't have to become like a full time social justice warrior. But with 100 extra thousand dollars in your bank account, there's like a lot more that you could do to help people and help your kids in addition to just doing the right thing. On a lot of levels. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, just as a personal experience, there's nothing I hate more than like when white people chime in with their like personal experience, like living in diverse communities. But I have one of those because I grew up in a really diverse <laughs> town that was minority white. I went to a minority white high school uh, that was perceived to have low scores, perceived to have you know poor resources compared to all the schools around it. And let me tell you something, my like point of view uh, in the world at large is just a lot broader and a lot bigger because my community of friends was diverse because I had to make my way in situations that felt, you know, a little bit foreign to me. When I first started going to the high school, I went to like I had to sort of navigate social groups. I had to figure out, you know, the, I did have a school where like a lot of the white kids hung out together and a lot of the black kids hung out together. But then there was this big group in the middle and you had to make the choice. Like, do I want to be part of the big group or one of these two smaller groups? And all the pro-social stuff sort of pulled me and all of my good friends toward the big diverse group. And that has just been a, a great thing for my life in general. Um, so I just and I, I don't know. I mean, I did fine on all my tests. I, I don't know how how. Uh, what what the scores were like when I was there compared to now. I, it doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is is you know sending your kids to a place where they can learn something, and sometimes that something is more than just you know learning how to be with kids exactly like them. So I don't know. There's a lot to say about this, but I, I think this caller knows there's an ethical issue. Otherwise, he wouldn't have baked that into his question, right? Yeah, I think that's. I mean, I think that's the case, and I. I mean, I, I like. I mean, this what you described is like the experience of having to navigate new worlds and kind of be figure out what's going on in the cultural context outside of yours. What you're describing is that this kid is going to have to have the experience of like everyone who isn't white, 
basically, which is like a normal experience to have. In other words, this kid might actually become part of like, you know, the world, like the normal world where people have to <laughs> go into a world that isn't quite their own and figure out how to be a part of something and figure out their place, as opposed to what I think is what is what parents unconsciously um, kind of architect for their kids. Uh, I'm talking about white parents, which is a world in which they never have to be confronted with difference. Right. That makes them uncomfortable. And if they are confronted with difference, it's quickly padded over like, oh, it's fine. We're all diverse, but everything's fine. But then but then everything is sort of pushed aside. And now we're going to return to this world where every everything is along the lines that we expect it to be. We're all good. That actually, to me, is the bigger kind of damage that happens to people. And kids who grow up that way, in my experience, aren't really great agents of change as adults in the world. They create a lot of problems for the rest of us. And so uh, don't make your kid one of those kids. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's such an interesting, f- I mean, that's what makes it a uniquely American question because it's literally like, <laughs> literally like, how much is it worth to you to not have to have your kid <laughs> like deal how with race? Also, is it worth a hundred thousand? What's your going rate? Like, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like ick, right? I mean, I mean, there are there are communities yeah. where I know it's way more, way more than a hundred. I mean, way more. Yeah. Hundred thousand is like a relatively small price to pay uh, for you know to, to be only with your own kind compared to a lot of other communities in the country. <laughs> but don't you? I, I wouldn't you also give advice the other way? I mean, there are some schools. Uh, and I'm not going to name names. Uh, in my state, most of them are private schools where they're not diverse. Oh my god! And oh they have god. reputations would, yeah. for a Absolutely. different reason, like Absolutely. sexual assault and That's drug exactly use right. and yes. a party culture and a culture of privilege that is like disgusting. And I yeah. would pay to not send my kids yes. to some of those schools. I mean, I, I think that there is, you know, I I just don't. It's it's difficult to imagine, you know, nothing is going to be the perfect fit. You can get the thing that that looks like the perfect fit, that feels like that everyone tells you is the perfect fit. And guess what? Your kid could still fail math. Hate to break it to you, yeah. that could still yeah. happen. But there's a huge opportunity that you get to make in having conversations with your kids and them growing up and and modeling what kind of parents they become because of the kind of parent you are when you make these kinds of big decisions and when you talk about why you made them. I, I think there's a huge opportunity here mm. for this family. But here's my other, like, just easier question, like another thing to throw yeah. into the pile here. Um, we're talking about a K through five school. Yeah. Who the hell cares what the test scores are from a K through that's five kinda, school? Yeah, that's kind of my other point, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that's a little bit of, yeah, I, I think that the test score stuff for K5 is a little bit overblown. <laughs> I mean, I really do. <laughs> As a person having raised two kids through K5, I think the test score stuff is a little bit over. It's just like people, there's there's so much fear. There's like, am my kid going to be prepared? It's a competitive world. Are they going to like, are they going to be able to make IQ it out points. there? And so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So people need numbers to grasp onto. And like, we're all guilty of this. I mean, I know Joe and I absolutely look through test scores and we're like, well, this school is 8.5 and this school is 6.2. You know, like we really, everyone does that, you know, but like, yeah. Having now having older kids, it's like it was nowhere near as important as we thought it was. It really, if you're if you want your kid to be prepared for the world, you have to do stuff with them at home. You have to read to them. You have to encourage their work. You have to take them to museums. And if you really want them to be prepared for the world, you have to let them interact with kids that are not like them and kind of learn um, a more sort of proper place for themselves among people. Um, and if you really want to be helpful, you have to show your kids what it means to help other people too. So if you have resources that k- families in your kids' classes don't have, you get to look for ways to help extend those resources 
um, to other kids and in whatever way is appropriate. And your kids also get to learn from that. So I think actually what you have is you should be paying $100,000 to go to this school, actually, because the opportunities <laughs> to, to actually get a real education are, are pretty high here. Yeah, yeah. Plus, they'll have the $100,000 in their pocket, so they'll have plenty of museum entry money to, to draw from, right? <laughs> All right, our next question is from Sarah. This is Sarah. Hi, Mom and Dad are fighting. I love the show as it's both so hilarious and so insightful. Here is my dilemma. My son Huxley is nine and has become interested in fashion. I want to encourage his interest and his individual style, but I don't want him getting caught up in labels and looking like everyone else or not being school appropriate. I also want him to buy from consignment stores so his clothes are more eco-friendly and less tied to sweatshop labor. Finally, I don't want him to become too superficial in his quest for style. Please help me find places uh, to give my son to get his unique fashion inspiration, books, blogs, Instagram accounts, etc., and ways to help him remain grounded and stylish as we go forward. Thanks. Well, you should follow Carvel's son on Instagram for sure if you want inspiration on Instagram. But Carvel, you've got uh, really, really stylish kids. So, like, where do they look for inspiration? Where do they get their clothes? Do you have, um, like, boundaries around that in your family? You, uh, (laughs) no, we don't. And I, we don't, I, boy, this question is actually, I mean, it's light, it's lighthearted in content, but it actually, it does, there's this one thing underneath this question that I think is a little bit of a bigger parenting issue, which is um, that oftentimes as parents, and I think I sensed a little bit of this in the callers question, I don't know, um, I'm speculating here, but oftentimes as parents, we become more interested in what we would like our kids to be like rather than what they are kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I noticed in that question, there's a lot of, I want him this, but I don't want him this, but I do want him to do this, but I don't want him to do this. And uh, I, my experience is that none of that kind of matters. Your kid's just going to do what they do. And you certainly get an opportunity to have those conversations. Like, hey, here's what I, here's some of the things I find problematic about this. Here are some of the things I'm worried about, et cetera. But I think that there's a weird thing um, thing that happens when a parent becomes super invested in a particular personality outcome for their kid. And uh, and it sounds like your kid, Huxley, is onto something awesome. The kid's nine and is interested in fashion and is, like, at the level where they're, they're trying to, like, do stuff and make things happen and, and research things. And I think there's going to be so much evolution over the next seven to ten years in the way that they deal with this. They may get really interested in it. They may forget about it by the time they're 12. It may never come up again. Fashion? What? Screw fashion. I just wear cargo shorts <laughs> and baseball caps every day. I don't care. Or they could, you know, or they could go totally down the rabbit hole and by the time they're 13, know more about sustainable clothes creation than you ever will. That can also happen. And and the reality is, as parents, we actually have very little to do with whether or not that happens. So our job is just to simply encourage the fact of interest in something positive and try not to dampen it by putting too many restrictions on it. That's that's an overview. Doesn't answer the question that she asked, which was give me some names of websites and blogs and so forth. But uh but it does but it does address kind of like the larger issue. Um Rebecca, what do you think about that? Well, I think I think you're right. And I heard those things too. The, you know, uh, I want him to this, I want him to that. And when it comes to clothes and kids, there's also a thing that you know, may not be the coolest thing to say, but anybody with kids who've gone through sort of the middle school thing knows that it's true and is that sometimes you just like 
the clothing issue is about helping your kid get through the week, right? Like, because there's tribalism around clothes or sometimes a kid, like, they really want to express their individuality through clothes. Like, Henry went through in fifth grade this, like, phase where he loved bacon and so he, like, had all these, like, shirts that had, like, bacon slogans (laughs) on them or whatever. And, you know, a lot of those shirts came from Target and a lot of those shirts came from places where this mom does not sound like she'd be happy uh, with her kid buying a bunch of clothes. But it was about kind of getting him through the week or getting him through the month or getting him through and and make having him feel good, you know, to the best that we could afford and having him feel like he was being himself. And then there've been other times in both my kids' lives where like every kid sort of had a uniform of sorts. And so if they deviated Mm -hmm. too far from it, it would just be weird and make them weird. And if I had chosen, you know, the month that Teddy went through that to sort of say no mass produced clothes, like he would have been screwed because the uniform of choice for like, you know, fourth through sixth grade was like wind pants that uh, and t-shirts which by definition wind pants like you can only buy them new because if you buy a used pair they're probably falling apart because they're like not well made uh, generally speaking Wait. at all what? What are wind pants? What like, like, like that? sweat, like sweatpants with like a oh, you mean those uh, shell. like track, like those track yes, like track situation. style oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. paint, like oh yeah, yeah those, those kinds of pants. Yeah, yeah, and like that was like that was like the only thing that kids in my in, in Teddy's grade wore. So it's like you could you literally like you could go to a used clothing store, but they wouldn't be there because this is the kind of clothing that you throw away when your kid's done with it because they're usually <laughs> right. a disaster. So right. I, I I think that talking about those values is great. I mean, you can certainly go on websites like ThreadUp and eBay. You know, if there's something your kid falls in love with, maybe you could help them source a secondhand version or a better made version. And you can talk about why. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it is tough to make a kid just embrace your values because you think that's what the value should be without that broader context. So yeah, I guess I, I kind of land with you, Carvel, on this one. I mean, I, I think being interested in fashion is having a style is good, but um, th- that is where it gets sticky is when you is when you make it so heavy, right? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, again, like I I like want to like honor honor as we say on the West Coast. I want to honor and respect this parent for like having these <laughs> like this this desire to like organize their kids' beliefs and feel. You're still laughing at that. <laughs> organize this parents, it, this kids. <laughs> <laughs> organized you know like this kid's beliefs system around this stuff i think that's great but i also but i also just my experience has been that these things are a slow burn for kids and we mo- you you get to have conversations at this point you get to introduce concepts you get to plant seeds but there you don't get to define for them what they will and won't do with an extracurricular activity particularly with values because inherently the whole Hard thing about growing up as a kid is that you need to do differently than your parents told you in order to understand the world. And so whatever you like insist is the thing, they're going to then be like, well, why not Target? Like Target, like now you're like, no Target. Then they're going to be like, well, wait a second. <laughs> That's all I want to do. <laughs> what's, what's a Target now that you that I'm not supposed to see? <laughs> so and then it, that becomes a little bit about you versus them rather than the topic at hand. That's been my experience. And so um, so I think that these conversations, the way to handle, to get to what the caller hopes to get to is that is to have these conversations, but have them as conversations. Ask questions of the kid. What do they think about this stuff? What do they think they should do? What do they think they'd like to do? Uh, and then find a way to do that. Um, but I think if you if you if you panic every time someone comes in with a shirt that's made in China, it's going to be a rough road for you. And plus, the other thing about kids' clothes is that they um, they 
are only valuable for like three months because kids grow so fast. (laughs) (laughs) And so, so I think it's really, so I think without knowing where this parent lives, definitely the upcycle situation is great. We, we always thrifted for clothes. Me and my kids, my dad actually taught me that he was really into that. And that was back in the eighties when it was not cool to be at the Goodwill. My dad thought it was really great. And he'd be like, why buy new when you can buy used? And I love that. And I I still do that with my kids. And now it's a little, they can rationalize it as part of like a thrift culture that was made cool uh, in the past few years. And so they don't freak out about it, but they also love taking their clothes to donate because, you know, for them, it feels like they're doing something useful. They know that other kids whose parents um, are struggling and can't afford to buy new clothes, that, that they're being able to help that situation. So they understand the whole cycle of it. Uh, and, um, you know, that's because these are conversations that we've been having the whole time. Right. There also are a lot of like factory made um, clothing in consignment shops, too. I mean, because you go to consignment shops, you're not going to get all like, you know, uh, fancy American made, handmade things there. I mean, a lot of these a lot of these things that we kind of look down on as being um, part of something that we wish we weren't part of, they they, they exist in our culture, you know, and they, they are in the consignment shops. My one sort of consignment shop complaint uh it only came it only kind of came up because we the place where we we go on vacation in uh uh, the coast of massachusetts close to where you just were actually and Mm. in the town that's near the place where we um go there is an amazing men's consignment store and it is really rare to find like an all men's consignment shop or all and it is we look forward to going there all year round. The kids always pick out like a ton of stuff. Um, Henry is like really into clothes now and he's kind of grown into his body. So things do last a little longer than three months in his closet, which is great. And like we look forward to going there all year because, you know, they're just they don't exist. So I'd say anyone is interested in out there and starting like a cool business. I think men's consignment, man. Moms of teenagers everywhere, teenage boys everywhere. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's a thing. Yeah. It's a yeah. thing that doesn't, isn't yeah, out there. True. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on to recommendations. My recommendation this week is a technology-based game that we play at a family friend's house all the time. Uh, It's through a service called Jackbox. It's an online service where you can buy games that you can download to your Apple TV or to your computer or to your gaming system. We always play these games on uh, a Macintosh computer. um, And the game that has been a huge hit with our two families playing together is a game called Drawful. You might be familiar with the game as an app. it's, It's sort of like a Pictionary style game, but the difference on the this version of Drawful sold through Jackbox is that you play it with a group of people and the game controller on which you draw and submit um, guesses is actually your smartphone. So you have people in the room with their individual iPhones or whatever, or groups of people, each of whom have one, you know, iPhone, and everybody submits a drawing and then all these captions come up and everyone has to guess what the drawing is, or you have to type in what you think the drawing is called. And you're actually using your phone as the conduit to the game. So it's a group game with this individual technology kind of built in. And I've found that, like, this is a perfect example of doing things together, not on the phone, but also having the phone in your hand. It's just very, very cool. It's very fun. It's one of those ones where, like, sort of like apples to apples, there's a lot of opportunity for people to throw out, like, a real mismatch that just the bad guess itself makes everybody really laugh. The drawings themselves can be really silly and fun. Um, So I'd recommend this game. It's called Drawful. It costs about 9 
bucks to download and you can play it on your Apple TV, uh, your Amazon Fire. You can purchase it for your computer, your PC or your Mac, as long as you have a big enough screen that everybody can kind of see what's happening. Um, And it's also available for, I guess, Xbox and PlayStation. But like I said, we play it on the computer. We gather a bunch of people around, kind of turn the monitor around so we can all see it. And it's kind of like high tech, very, very silly Pictionary with smartphones and heck of a lot of fun. So again, it's Jackbox Games and it's called Drawful. All right, Carvel, do you have a recommendation for us? You know, you've been on vacation, but uh, have you been able to cultivate one recommendation for this podcast? Yes, so many. I'm going to recommend the book that Georgia was reading while we were on vacation in which she she seemed totally entranced. It's called The Best We Could Do, an Illustrated Memoir by uh, a writer by the name of, I believe it's pronounced The Boy. T-H-I-B-U-I. And of course, we're going to put the link on the homepage. Um, This was a book. It's an illustrated book. She tends to like to read graphic novels about uh, emotional, personal experiences. Seems to be her literary wheelhouse right now. And so this is is a a memoir uh, about uh, an emigration from Vietnam to the U.S. in the 1970s. And... um, she just really loved it and uh, had it with her at all times and was reading it in the hammock and reading it before bed and reading it on the beach. And she just was really into it. And so and it's it, from what I saw, she would kind of read me various excerpts and show me pages from it. And I just thought it was such a great sounding book. So I think it's poignant uh, in general as we discuss immigration generally uh, um, as, uh, as a nation and when we talk about having kids gain understanding and empathy for stories outside of themselves and seeing the connections between them and other people as well as the differences which is kind of what the cultural idea that we're you know sort of one of the things that we're trying to get our kids to learn in education as a way of being a member of the world books like this are really important so once again the book is the best we could do by and I'm sorry if I'm butchering the name here uh by T boy T H I B U I All right it sounds like a good, but it sounds like your daughter has very sophisticated taste for a kid on a beach vacation. It's very impressive. <laughs> She's landed there. She well, she it's. I'm glad graphic novels are back because for she did a lot of reading in elementary school and would read chapter books. It was really you know like how when kids start reading chapter books, they feel really mature and they want to like constantly always be showing you their chapter books. So she went through that phase. Then she tired of books. She was like, I don't, I don't like reading anymore. And I was so heartbroken. Uh, and then she discovered these like, these like, these like heartfelt graphic novels. I think Smile was the beginning of that for her, that whole series. But then she's just been going deeper and deeper into like these really complex stories of, of, of people having, you know, real experiences. And I think the graphic nature of it really helps. So I'm like, go for it, man. Go for it. Yeah, I, I actually never had kids who like were excited about reading chapter books ever. <laughs> um, but the gateway, the gateway drug for both of my kids to have them enjoy reading of any kind was Calvin and Hobbes. And guess what? There's yeah. a lot of reading to do in Calvin and Hobbes, even though it's That's a cartoon right. book. So, yeah. all right. Well, that is just great. Well. That is the end of the podcast. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Benjamin Frisch. Our homepage for the show is slate.com slash mom and dad. If you have a question you'd like to ask us on air, we would love to answer it. And we want to hear it in your voice. So call and leave us a message at 424-255-7833. You can also join our very robust Facebook community at facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. For Carvel Wallace, I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and we will talk to you next week. Mm-mm.
this is what you came for.